the summer between um, my seventh and eighth grade year in school, uh, we moved, our family moved from uh, our house. It was a house that my parents were buying, and then when my dad left, um, we lost the house, and somebody else bought it, but we still lived there. We rented it uh, from the guy who bought it, and uh, that year, his son was getting married, and he was giving this house to his son and new daughter-in-law as a wedding gift, nice wedding gift, Uh, and so we had to move. And we moved across town, and while I grew up near Chicago, it was in a suburb, so across town was, you know, just a matter of a few miles. But living in that new place, living in a new part of town, meant then we drove new roads. Not not the roads that we were used to driving all the time, but uh, new ones. And one of them was uh, a road that went along I-94. And as it went along I-94, when you get to, you know, the exit ramps and stuff, then it has to curve to get around. And right on that curve, right where that road curved, there was this, what looked to be an abandoned home. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, I was, I was not the driver. I was a kid riding in the car. So, you know, you look around and I always noticed this house that looked abandoned. Well, then I came to find, came to uh, learn that the house was not abandoned. What it was, was it was being built. It was being built by this guy. There was an old trailer on the, on the grounds there, too. And they were, I mean, it was overgrown. And the place just kind of looked looked a wreck. And he apparently, uh, he was building the house himself. It was a brick home. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a stick home. So, I mean, he apparently laid all this brick and everything. And, uh, there, and the roof was on. There were no windows in it. There were no doors. And like I said, it was all overgrown and it was a mess. And there's this old beat up, dilapidated trailer back there, which he lived in and worked on, on the house apparently whenever, you know, whenever the mood struck him. And to me, it seemed apparent the mood didn't strike very often. Um, I don't ever remember actually seeing a person there. Uh, you know, but, uh, and it was that way. We lived in that apartment uh, for about four years. And, uh, well, it was four years. And that's how about it was. It was four years. And so we drove that way. I, you know, we drove that way often over this course of the four years. And I'd see this house and it just always looked like, like it was abandoned, you know, like, like uh, nobody really gave a rip about it. Uh, well, then we moved away. And I didn't drive that way very often. Uh, but I still had friends that lived over there, and then there was this one special friend, um, yeah, who who uh, caught my attention, you know. So I was over that that area a little bit more, and I remember driving down, driving down that road then one day, and I looked, the house was done. You know, I mean, it was done. It was it was. The, the grass was cut, the trailer was gone, you know, and it, it looked like somebody cared. Somebody obviously cared about this place now. You know, it was just a, a huge difference uh, of what I was used to seeing, you know, all those years that, that we lived over there. Now, as I was thinking about this, you know, because we all have those things that are obvious in us and about us. Our physical appearance is certainly one of them, and some of us find that, you know, for some of us that's a better, a better deal than others. But um, 
nothing personal, you know, just that's the reality of it. Uh, you know, f so that's a lot of times what what we see, you know, and and, and uh, you know, at our first glance, if you will, uh, you know, but it's that physical appearance. But there's more than that, which is obvious about us. And I was wondering. As I was reading this passage and looking at the, the scriptures and working on the sermon, I, I was really kind of wondering and stopping and thinking, um, you know, when people see us, does it look like we've abandoned our relationship with Christ? Or, you know, is it obvious that we still care about our relationship with Christ? Uh, something for us to think about as we continue on through Colossians. Let's pray and we're going to turn to the passage. Father, uh, To say when people see us, we want them to see Christ, there's, there is a, a ton of truth to that. We, we need to have our life, we, well, we need to be in, in such a way really that they do see Christ, that we would be lost in the example of you. How do we go about that? How does, it, how does that even work in our life? How, or does it work in our life? So... As we look into your word today, give some guidance and direction. I thank you again for the time you've given me to study and to look, and I pray that some of what you have impressed upon me, that we might be able to convey your truth to all of us here, that we would grab it, that we would uh, uh, get a hold of it in a way that it would really get a hold of us and transform us, that people would see Christ. So help us toward that, we pray in his name. Amen. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. Turn there, if you will. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 1083. Uh, did you, I, I hope some of you, I hope all of you really, took the time to read the whole book. I, asked, I told you last week, we're going to be going through this book. We're going to be in Colossians for a while, so you can take the time to read through it. It's, it's four short chapters. So if you try to read a chapter a day and you miss a few days, you'll still make it in a week. I mean, think about it, you know, you, you, can, you can mess up three days and still only read a chapter a week and, and be done. So, oh, chapter a week, a chapter a day, you know, you can mess up three days and, and still get it. So it's something to think about. Uh, last week we started looking, we looked at the first eight verses uh, in there, uh, talking about what well, we've been looking at, the completeness of Christ. That's how, it's, how the whole book really kind of um, pulls together. Today we're really only going to look at four more verses, uh, verses 19 through 12 there. Paul is telling the Colossians how he prays for them, what he asks God for regarding them. So follow along chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 9. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work uh, and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Now that's where we're going to stop. Now I know for many of you uh, in your Bible that's, that's the middle of a paragraph and that's going to bug you and you're going to keep reading and that's okay. But you know, that, that's where we're going to pause because I, I think we have plenty to cover there. Um, what, Paul is, what Paul is talking about here, the good things that he heard about the Colossians, which he talked about in those first eight verses, 
it, you know, in their relationship with Christ, it says he has been praying for them and he's been praying for their completeness in Christ more. And here he says that he and Timothy have not stopped praying for them when he says we, you know, because he mentioned Timothy in the first uh, few verses there. Uh, even though they had never met them, if you recall, we looked last week at the, the fact that Paul has never, had never visited Colossae. He'd never been there. He did not start this church. It was most likely started by, well, Epaphras is the guy who gets credit. He's mentioned in the, in the book a couple times where he was most likely came to Ephesus, heard Paul preaching, brought the gospel back to where he lived, you know, to Colossae, and, and brought the gospel there. And this was a place where Timothy and Paul had, had not been, you know, and he prays for their spiritual blessing, you'll notice. I was a little bit drawn to that and and right away because we usually pray for physical stuff and material stuff it's not even mentioned here you know he doesn't he doesn't pray for material or physical needs he prays for their spiritual blessing and his prayer focuses on some qualities that i think that should be obvious in the life of those who say they have a relationship with jesus those who are who are growing in the completeness of christ and it's very applicable for us today, just as it was for them. One quality he talks about, I just kind of summarized, is spiritual intelligence. I don't know where that came from. Apparently, I did the, I did the video wrong. Um, just trust me, the first one's spiritual intelligence. Let me see what the next one says. Hmm. What? That's last week. Okay, that's what I was wondering. There's last week's. Can we get that? Did I have that? I should have looked at this. Let me mess with it a while. Yeah, that is last week's. Good point. At least one of us is paying attention. That's why God had me marry her. I didn't see anyone else say, dude, you got the wrong passage. Anyway, thanks for not saying that. Um, so your first blank there is spiritual intelligence. It's intelligence. One word. You can do that. You're intelligent enough. See how that works? Yeah, that's pretty good, wasn't it? Anyway, um, that's verse 9. Verse 9 talks about if this comes back on, and then we'll use it. Otherwise, I'll just try to endlessly repeat it for you. Um, you know, ignore the blue flashing screen behind me. Uh, <laughs> and I'll try to do the same. You know, it's pretty tough for somebody like me. Anyway, uh, verse 9. It talks about, you know, about knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. You know, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, you know, that spiritual intelligence. Uh, they didn't need a new spiritual experience. This is what we chase sometimes, spiritual experience. They didn't need a new spiritual experience. They simply needed to grow in the relationship they already had with Christ. A lot of times we are looking for, we're looking for this, new, this new experience, this new thing. What we need to do is grow in the relationship that we already have with Christ. That's the relationship we need to grow in. That's the, that's the one that we need, to, we need to have more and more a, a, a part of our life, a part of our being. The relationship that we have to grow in that. Not always chasing after, you know, after this new experience, you know, because we're experience-oriented sometimes. Uh, you know, and as you grow in Christ, you will experience new stuff. You will. You know, you will. It comes. 
The more you grow in him and the more he can trust you, then, you know, the, the more you will experience new things. Uh, you know, and the desired result here is that God's people, notice what it says, will be filled with the knowledge of his will. Filled, filled. Don't, spuddle, don't, don't just settle for a splash in the bottom of the cup. You know, when, uh, when, you, go to, when you go to a restaurant or something and they're going to fill your coffee cup up or, you know, give you, give you uh, something to drink or whatever it is, that's the same picture. And, uh, you know, as, as they do that, uh, you know, and uh, there it is. Thank you. Uh, you know, as, they, as they do that, they, they, how would you like it if they just, just put a little bit in the bottom of your cup? You want a refill? Yeah, that's it. He says, he says that you may be filled, filled. God wants you to be filled. He, God wants you to be filled, as it says right here, with the knowledge of his will. He wants that for you. It is not something he's trying to hide from you. That is something he wants for you. That word carries, it carries the idea of being fully equipped, not lacking anything. It was a word that was used for a ship going on a voyage. I, uh, I used to watch the show Deadliest Catch. Some of you are familiar with it. Um, I only watch the, um, the whatever's on Netflix for free. You know, well, not free, for nine bucks a month. Uh, now going up to 12. Anyway, uh, I told you, you, know, you just can't have this blue f- screen flashing behind me. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I used to watch this show. When I I put our, our checkbook in the computer, uh, and I, I'm supposed to do it more often than I do, and I wouldn't, so I'd have these long stretches of time where I had to sit in front of the computer and enter in all this information. Because then at the end of the year, all I have to do is spit it out, you know, for the for the uh, income tax guy. And um, so it was, I'd put that in. I'm looking for something kind of to do because, you know, how, how close do you have to pay attention when you're in there in numbers? Uh, anyway. Um, You understand my problems. The, um, so I'm watching, you know, I'm watching the show Deadliest Catch on there, and it's about these guys um, that go out on a crab fishing in in uh, the oceans off of Alaska, where where there's a lot of ice, cold weather, snow, and nasty stuff. And so, you know, they're loony, in my opinion, but um, they're out there doing this stuff. And before they, before they go out there, though. You know, a couple of the shows showed what they do to prepare to go out there. They got these crab cage things. And they get all those and they fix them and they repair them and they're all stacked way up on the, on the ship. And I'm thinking, dude, don't you get the center of gravity idea? But anyway, um, you know, so that's all stacked up there. They, they, they load up all of the bait, which is really disgusting. And then, they, you know, they... Uh, they have these the, the machines. They get the, the part. The guys who are going out, they bring their clothes. They have they have uh, uh, not nearly enough, in my opinion. Uh, warm clothes, rain clothes, boots. You know all this other stuff uh, that they bring. Whatever personal items they need. They these just huge things of food coming over onto their ship because they're out there for weeks. They're out there for weeks. I get seasick watching the program. But, you know, they're out there for weeks with this thing. And, and they get enough, they have to have enough fuel on the ship. They bring spare parts. They bring medical things, you know, because they have to be ready for anything when they're out there. It isn't run down to the corner drugstore because the corner drugstore isn't there. So they have to be ready for anything, you know, that if the, if the engine conks out, that they can unconk it and, you know, do whatever they, whatever they need to do. 
There's the picture here. There's a picture. God wants you to be filled with the knowledge of his will so that you will be ready. So that you will be ready for whatever comes along. That you will have the spiritual intelligence to be able to handle whatever comes along. God wants us to be ready for this journey through life, not lacking anything we need from him. Biblically, when you see the word used, uh, when you see the word filled oftentimes in scripture, it means to be controlled by. Uh, when you're filled with anger, you're controlled by anger. Did you ever, have, you ever, have you ever punched anybody's lights out when you've been happy? Have you ever screamed and yelled at somebody because you're so joyful and peaceful? No. You know, because we get angry and we, and we, start, we start yelling you know, and screaming and controlled by it. Filled. You know, to be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, don't get drunk with wine. What's happening there? When you're, drunk, when, when you're drunk, you're filled out, you're controlled by what? Alcohol. Okay, so we won't go there. Um. You know, but he says, don't, don't be drunk with wine, which, which leads to reckless action, but be filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Instead, he's given a picture. It should be obvious. It should be obvious in us that we are controlled by the Spirit. That should be obvious in us. The focus is that we would be controlled by, directed by, lived by the full knowledge of God's will. And to know God's will, you need to know God's word talked about this last week a little bit because the majority of his will do you remember how much just make up a percentage it's in the 90s like 99 okay it's the majority of his will is found in his word the better you know you know the better you know god's will as it is revealed in his word the easier it is for you to determine his will in those areas where it's not covered you see in those little details of life. It's easier for you to follow God's will in the details of your life when you know God's will as it's plainly laid out in His Word. There isn't any question. You know, there is no question about that. And the parts of God's will that's not revealed in His Word will never contradict what is revealed in His Word. It is not God's will for you that you provide for your family by stealing. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says what? Do not steal. Ding, ding. You know, uh, it, it's, 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 it's very clear. You know. And so, so when, you know God's, when you know God's word, when you know his will as it's revealed in his word, when you get to those places, you know, where the guy in front of me, you know, at the cash register, when he's reaching in for something and he pulls out and, it, and a $20 bill falls out on the ground, that's not mine. That's my responsibility to say, dude, you dropped 20 bucks. And if you don't pick it up, I'm going to. Well, you could say that part, you know, because that's true. Uh, you know, but, but you see, it, it's, it's when you know when you know God's word, you will know his. You will know not only the majority of His will, but you'll know how to function in His will when 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 it's not so clear. God puts no premium on ignorance. Well, I don't need to know these things. I, you know, I. I I haven't run across any lately, but I've run across some pastors sometimes. You know, I don't prepare for a sermon. I just get up there. Uh, 
God doesn't put any premium on ignorance. He wants us to know his word. He wants us to know his will. Is revealed in his word, and the more we know his word, the more we're going to understand his will. You know, we need God's understanding of his word. You know, so we need him to guide us and open our minds and to give us the understanding. It, it, it should be obvious in our living that we are growing in spiritual intelligence. Don't you hate it when you have to do the same, when you have to learn the same thing over and over again? Don't you hate that? You know, that's why I still type with two and sometimes maybe I get up to four fingers. I used to know how to how to type. You know, in the olden days we took uh, typing. Those of you who are my age or, you know, you know what typing is, you know, is a typewriter. A typewriter is a computer that, that doesn't, it isn't a computer at all. It just kind of whacks, whacks a, a, a thing and puts some letters on a piece of paper. It's magic. But anyway, uh, you know, so I, I took typing and I could type really well. And then I didn't for years because I, you know, I didn't type anything when I was, you know, doing the miller and welding work. I didn't type. I didn't have any need to type. And I kind of forgot how to do it. And, and uh, you know, you, you, when, when, when we begin, when we practice what it is God tells us, you see, the better we're going to be able to remember, the better we're going to be able to apply, the better we're going to be able to live his word. It's what he, this is what he's talking about here, is being able to, you know, being able to know and understand and grab a hold of what he has for us. We grow, as we use it, we grow in that spiritual intelligence. That's what he has for us. Something that should flow from spiritual intelligence is made clear in verse 10, and that's practical obedience. Verse 10, he talks about practical obedience. That's the goal of spiritual intelligence. Practical obedience to God's will. Knowledge and obedience go together. I mean, they go together. When you learn that sticking a screwdriver in an outlet zapped you, you should, you should, you should then have the experience to know, let's not do that again. You have the experience then. You see, you learn, you learn, you know, you learn that knowledge and that practical obedience comes and you change the way you live and you no longer stick things into an outlet that don't belong there. You see, this is, this is what he's talking about here. Because as true spiritual wisdom, it will affect your daily living. It affects your daily living. One of the ways we know that we are in God's will is that our life is transformed. We begin to live in a way that is more pleasing to God. That transformation is taking place. You see, in our daily living, we begin to live in a way that we know is more pleasing to God. Jenny and I were just talking about this yesterday as I was driving because you know that is one of the areas in which I, I don't always reflect God like I should. And uh, I've been working on it. It's not the driving. It's the attitude of the guy behind the wheel. Meaning me. Yeah. And um, two of the boys were with us. We were driving out to Mandy's in Laporte to celebrate her birthday. And so uh, we took two of the boys out there with us and, and two coming home. But anyway, we were driving out there. And Jenny uh, um, said, Andy Klein's going to get this one right away. He said, I, I noticed you were, you were trying to help that guy in the parking lot yesterday 
um, learn how to drive. I said, yes, I was. <laughs> At first, I didn't remember. I said, what guy? I said, I she said, the one who pulled out in front of you. Oh, yeah. And then I remembered. Oh, yeah. And then I remembered. See, I, I, I try to help people learn how to drive correctly by, by um, b- being obvious, you know. Like if you pull out in front of me and I'm, I'm you know, if I'm, going, if I'm going 40 down the road and you pull out in front of me and go 10, I can only assume you want me as close to your bumper as I could be. See, don't, don't do that. It's just, it's, this, is, this is not the way to drive. All I'm doing is telling you and showing you. See, it's the attitude of the guy behind the wheel. Needing to continue to have his life transformed in that area. It could be a different area for you, you know, maybe maybe the way you talk to your coworker, maybe the way you speak to your neighbor, maybe the way you speak to your kids. One other thing that transformed that for me is one time Ginny said to me, after I said something to Peter, she said, I wish you could hear the way you talk to him. I've never forgotten that. You see, we need to, we grow, we learn these things, and then we apply it. It's practical wisdom that affects our daily living. And we begin to live more and more in a way that pleases God. And living in a way that pleases God gets a higher value in our priority system. It becomes more important to us. That we live in a way that's pleasing to God. And it becomes our intentional goal that, you know, what we strive for, what directs our living. It becomes our intentional goal, not our, well, okay, boy, I got that one right. <laughs> that's good. You know, no, it's our intentional goal that we want to more and more live in a way that pleases Him. We're not content to be stagnant in our knowledge of God. We're not content to be, to, be, to be stagnant in our knowledge of Him and in our living for Him. We want to know God and we want to know His will more. You see, that, that's, that it, it affects our daily living. Now, God's knowledge, knowledge, any knowledge, you know, but God, knowledge of God, it, it, it always has ethical implications because it directs our daily conduct and thinking in line with His will. And so we are without excuse for not doing it. When we have that knowledge, in particular, we are without excuse for not doing it, for not living God's will. Wisdom that excludes or ignores Jesus, wisdom that makes him subordinate to anything else is counterfeit. Counterfeit is something that that likes to make you think it's the original that likes to make you think that it is proper, that likes to make you think that it, that, it is, that it is good, that it is right and that it is real. That's what a counterfeit is. And anything that, that puts itself up against God's wisdom and tries to make you think that it's better is a counterfeit. Did God really say you shouldn't eat from that tree? All the way back in the garden. And it goes on today. God really say, you know, that, that you shouldn't, you know, listen to that kind of music? Did God really say that you shouldn't watch that program? 
Did God really say? You see, and we begin to do those little games. The goal, the goal of being filled with knowledge is to live a life worthy of the Lord and to please Him in every way. Knowledge must make itself into our daily living. As we learn more, we obey more. And as we obey more, we learn more. You see, we, we learn that by, by doing it. On Thursday night, I went with uh, Michael to uh, Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts. Um, Andy, had a, Andy had a conflict, and so I went in Andy's place, and what they were doing was building uh, this wobble board. That's what they call it. They were building a wobble board. I don't need this. I don't need a board that's on on round things to wobble. I, I I can wobble on my own feet. But anyway, apparently when you're younger, you need a wobble board. So we were making this wobble board, and the way they did it is, you know, we had to cut the wood. We had to cut the two by fours into one foot lengths, and then we had to cut a an, an arc on this two by four. They wanted the kids to learn how to use hand tools, which was a a, a really dumb idea. Um, especially for cutting this curve on this two-by-four. Anyway, so I'm showing Michael, you know, how to use the saw, you know, and how to do it. But I wasn't showing him by doing it and saying, watch this. I, did, I took it and I just showed him how to get the saw started. And then I said, now, come here, Michael, you try this. And so when Michael got in there, and then for a while what I did was I stood over Michael because he conveniently fits right here still at that age. And, you know, and I put my hand on top of his, and we're working the saw. And you see, and how did Michael learn how to work the saw? By working the saw. You see, he listened to what I told him. You know, I, I, I told him, well, just hold your thumb there so it stays on the line, you know, and that. And, uh, and at first he put his thumb on there and he moved it with the saw. I said, no, no, you know. And, 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 and so he, he learned. By doing, so we learn more as we obey more. And as we obey more, we learn more. Now, which is, that's true of life. You know, and, and growing takes an investment of time. It takes an investment of time. And that's where we struggle sometimes because time is, is pre- but it takes, an, you can't get away from it. God invested 13 years in Joseph's training before Joseph stepped up to be the second, only to Pharaoh, it says, in all of Egypt. 80 years invested in Moses before he led Israel. Jesus invested a little over three years in his disciples before he turned the ministry over to them. Paul was trained as a Pharisee, and then God took that and used that and and still had him spend a few years in Arabia before God brought him back to minister to the Gentiles. It's an investment of time. God's wisdom reveals God's will, and God's wisdom is found in God's word. You pull it together. This is where it is. We need to invest time. We need to invest time each day over a long period of time to be able to get a hold of his word, to grow in God's word. And then when you, when you begin to do that, then you will grow in God's wisdom. 
You don't, you, you, know, you know, some people talk about uh, praying and, and, you know, and prayer. You're just doing that to, you know, to escape things. So you, don't, you don't spend time in God's word to escape reality. You don't spend time praying to escape reality. You pray and study so that you'll be able to live in the reality of every day in and by his will. You spend that time there so that you can so, so you can live. You're not stepping aside from reality. You're learning how to better live in the reality that's there. And then you will, as it says there, be bearing fruit in every good work. Every good work. Not just occasionally. Not just occasionally serving God, but bearing fruit in every good work. Not only the easy ones, but in every good work. Not only the ones I want to do, but in every Good work. That's what it says in the verse there. In every good work. You know, knowledge of God's will, it's important, but obedience is, always, is also important. The knowledge is important, but obedience is also important. The choices we make, you know, that make up our living, they reveal our spiritual health. The choices you make is revealing your spiritual health. We've been, we have become accustomed to learning good ideas and then doing nothing with what we learn. We've become accustomed to that. You see, because we get information overload. Particularly, you know, it, it, when, if, when you start surfing the net and stuff, you get information overload. You know, and then we got all of this, all of these little little facts and doodads and things going on in our head. And, and, and we're overloaded with information. And the only way we can make it through a day sometimes is to ignore some of that information that comes in. I got up this morning and, you know, and I, this is one of my habits, you know, uh, one of the things I do, one of the, you know, I, I check the news feed. I turned it on and I see that, you know, three more people were shot at a gas station in Fort Wayne. I still go get gas from my car. Yeah, and and you read some of the other things on there, and we get this information overload, and we have to ignore some of it, or we, you know, or or we we have a hard time functioning. Problem is, we carry that over into our relationship with God. Then, some of you listen. I, I know some of you listen to sermons online and stuff because every once in a while you post stuff about it. I'm not offended. I think it's a great thing, um, but here's a problem. We take in so much information, you know, on, on these sermons and these teachings and these other things, and we get information overload, and so what we do is we begin to ignore it. We begin to ignore it. And we don't let it affect our lives. Where we should be letting God's Word affect our lives. We should be letting that in, and that should be the thing that, that, you know, that, is, that is guiding us and that is directing us. The test of our faith is whether what we learn makes any difference in our life and in the way we treat others remember that last week in, in verse four he said that well verse three he says we always thank god the father our lord jesus christ when we pray for you for we have heard of your faith in christ jesus and the love you have for all the saints there's the test you know does it make any difference in the, does it make any difference in the way we live and in the way we treat others in what we take in what is it is it transforming our life our knowledge, our spiritual intelligence should result in more than simply knowing more good from evil, but in actually doing more good. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? 
practical obedience to the will of God should be obvious in our living, in our everyday living. Well, spiritual intelligence, practical obedience, it will result in another quality, and that's moral excellence. Moral excellence. Verses 11 and 12, he talks about this. You know, the wisdom and and conduct should always be related to moral character. What I mean by moral character is who we are. Who we are. You know, who we really are. Knowledge, you know, knowledge and and you can have knowledge and you can even have service, you know, and doing, doing things, you know, for God in our minds. But knowledge and service without moral excellence, what you have there then is that results in scandal. It results in scandal because you see, it's not if, if it's not coming from that moral excellence, if that the change isn't going on inside, you can have some, you know, you can have some of the outside appearance, right? But if what's going on inside isn't, you know, isn't being transformed, if you're not being transformed, then what's going to happen is you're going to begin chasing what's going on inside, and if it's not lined up with God, you see, you're going to end up in scandal. Boy, we had a we had a spat where a whole. It was three years, I think it was, where we had, you know, like one pastor after another that I know, you know, that I, in our in our central region, um, that were, you know, were, were morally compromised. Preaching every Sunday, you know, and doing anything, but then... The moral character was slipping. The moral character wasn't there. Moral excellence, you know, that transformation of the inside of us, a transformation of, of the person we are. Otherwise, it ends up in scandal. And to live what God tells us, we need power. We need his power, and this is what he tells us. You know, he tells us he not only gives us the knowledge of his will, he also gives us the power to live his will. Look at what it says in verse 11, that you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That's what it says there in verse 11. That you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy and giving thanks to the Father. The verse here, it points out some obvious evidences of God's power in my life. Look at what he says there. Those obvious evidences of God's power in my life. Endurance, he says. Endurance deals with circumstance. You know, endurance, it's, it's continuing to exhibit my commitment to God through circumstance. Those circumstances and situations, it's a conquering patience that turns bearing all challenges you know, into glory to God, dealing triumphantly with anything that life brings along. And then he talks about patience. Patience deals with people. Endurance with circumstances, patience with people. It's continuing to exhibit my, my commitment to God in my interactions with other people. It, it relates to people, you know, not, not, not retaliating, not berating others. Not putting others in their place. Responding as it says there, you know, as he said in verse 4, we've seen your love for others. We have seen that. It's, it's a part of it. I like the way King James translates that word. Long-suffering is how King James says it. Long-suffering. You know, putting up with it. It's, it's, a, it, it, it's a spirit that, that is never changed by the challenges and frustrations that are brought on by other people. 
Endurance is that character that's not changed by, by, by the, the challenges of, of the circumstance. Patience is a character that's not changed by the challenges and frustrations of other people. Endurance, patience, joy, he says. That's that inward peace that comes from knowing I'm right with God and living in a manner that's pleasing to him. It's independent of people. It's independent of circumstance. It's, something, it's, it, it, it's, it's not something that we work up. It's something that the Spirit works in us. It's what the Spirit works in. That's what he says here. You know, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious mind. According to his glorious mind. That comes from him. He works it in us. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. He goes on and says, against such, in King James, against such there is no law. These are the things, these are the qualities that should be there in, in increasing measure, and in increasing abundance. He says that joy is part of it. Another evidence mentioned there is thankfulness. Some people are naturally more thankful than others. Um, two of my grandkids stick out when I think of that. Uh, Molly is one and, and uh, Ryan is the other one. You know, Ryan is just two and... and when you give him something or do something for him, he, it, he automatically says thank you. You don't have to say to him what you say. But I remember one time when, well, when Max was born, Ginny and I went up uh, to, we met Mandy and Michael in, uh, the South, in South Bend. She went to a hospital there. And we had Molly with us while Mandy was, you know, working on delivering Max. And we went to a, we had a hotel. Uh, and we stayed at this hotel and there was a pool there. Well, Molly likes a pool so we went in the pool and the pool had stairs leading down you know going down into it you could just walk down these stairs as opposed to a ladder and get in the pool molly was standing on one of the stairs you know and and uh, she was standing there and i was out in the water just a little bit and i'm watching her and keep my eye on her and i can see she started she's starting to fall off the stair and so i'm moving toward her and i got uh, just as just before i got to her she fell off that stair her head went under water and it, it's it, like in one just motion i grabbed her and i pulled her up and she comes up and she says thank you for saving me papa you know <laughs> Just naturally thankful, you know, naturally, naturally thankful. Here's the picture, you know, here's the picture that, it, you know, that, that it, some people are, are more naturally thankful than others. You know, and thankfulness is the, op- it's the opposite of selfishness. It really is. Selfishness focuses on me, you know, and what I deserve thankfulness you know it's that it's it's that attitude of gratitude rather than a feeling of deserving rather than feeling we deserve everything you know when we're living by his power so that no circumstance defeats our you know is defeat defeats us you know it defeats our strength and nothing defeats our resolve no human being you know can defeat our love then our growing completeness in Christ will be obvious to others. It will be obvious. You know, when we're, we will be strengthened in our resolve to stand for, to speak about, and to live by our relationship with Jesus. 
and will do that in all things, in all, in all living. It'll be more, much more than simply talk and attitude. It will be that conviction. It will be that living. And then we will understand the completeness that we desire is only found in Christ. In a living, growing, active relationship with him. And we'll rely more on his power in all of our living. We'll become people who are obviously more thankful to God and more thankful for God. We will realize more the importance of God in all of life and in all of living. And we will live all of life in God. It will be obvious in us and through us every day. Let's pray.